Good morning, my name's Rick. I work here at Grace Church. It's lovely to see you. If it's your first time here today, uh, you're so welcome. You're also really fortunate because, as has been said, we are starting our new series, and we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Gospel, the funny word, it, it just literally means good news, but when used in that context, the Gospel of Mark, it means uh, an account, an eyewitness account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there are four of them in the Gospel, and we're going to be looking at Mark. And um, if you're particularly eagle-eyed, you may have noticed a little link between our spring series and our summer series. We've been looking at a letter called 1 Peter, written by a guy called Peter. And right at the end of that, last week, you would have seen, he says, Mark sends his love. It's the same Mark. Because Mark was uh, probably Peter's scribe. Um, The Apostle Peter would have narrated it, and he would have written it down. And uh, although the, the, the gospel is called Mark, and rightly so because he wrote it, All the eyewitness accounts, or most of them, are from Peter himself. Um, So there's a nice little link there between the two series, which is fun, isn't it? Um, Mark's Mark's a funny little gospel. I mean, little, I mean that. It's the shortest one, and it starts very abruptly. There's no history of uh, Jesus' birth. There's no Christmas stuff at all, which is a terrible shame. I love Christmas. And there's no um, list of Jesus' ancestors, you know, where he came from. Uh, Mark is just keen to, to get on and tell you about Jesus, which is good. That's fairly normal, isn't it? I, I think when I meet someone for the first time, rarely do I say, hello, I'm Richard Lusmore, son of Robert Lusmore, son of Thomas Lusmore, and relative to the great John Lusmore, master builder who built and installed the organ at Exeter Cathedral in 1665, <laughs> which is true. Probably <laughs> a weird way to start a relationship. No, if you want to get to know me, you have to spend time with me. You have to listen to the things I say and see the things that I do. And Mark is just the same. He's like, come on, obviously Jesus is real. Let's find out about him. And actually, that's why we've called our series When Jesus Met. We won't be going through the whole of Mark, but we're going to be looking at eight encounters that Jesus had with people to see what it tells us about him, the things he said and what he did. So today we're going to be looking at uh, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. If you have a Bible with you, it might help you to follow along. Um, Otherwise, the words will appear on the screen. And when he returned, that's Jesus, when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they couldn't get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they'd made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned him within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all 
so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So we pick up uh, the story. Jesus' ministry has already been going on for a little while, and he's already got something of a rep. He's been going around the synagogues. He's been preaching. He's been healing people. He's come up against some bad spirits, and he's won. Um, and people are flooding to see him. That's, and that's where we find it. He's actually in Capernaum for a bit of R&R, a bit of rest. And then the crowds go, oh, we know where he is. And they leg over to, to hear him. And instead of turning them away, he graciously says, yeah, fine, I'll preach to you. We go, well, well what was he preaching? Mark just says here he was preaching the word. Well, if we flick back to chapter 1, verse 14, 15, it says, uh, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's Jesus' message, the kingdom of God. And it comes up again and again in Mark. So we're going to spend a little bit of time looking into what that means. And I need your help just for a kickoff. Um, you can close your eyes if it makes it easier. You don't have to. But I want you to imagine your idea of heaven. Of heaven. Probably everyone's happy. Yeah? Everyone's healthy. There's no sickness. No one goes wanting. No one's hungry. There's no squabbles. There's no politics. God is in charge. He's there with his people, reigning perfectly on his throne. He's the king. And that is his kingdom. A domain of peace and joy and perfect life. And actually, that's the same kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming. He says the kingdom is at hand, which is to say it's nearby. You could reach out and touch it. Now, what the guys he was speaking to didn't quite get at the time is that he was speaking about himself. He was the king. He is God. And so you could actually reach out and touch the king of the universe. Because the kingdom of God is not, it's not a physical place, like France and Switzerland, you know, split by a border or what have you. It's, it's, a, it's a spiritual place, which is good because the, the kingdom of God followed the king around after Jesus died and rose again, he then poured out his spirit across the earth. Which means that if you're a part of his kingdom, then you get to have the kingdom at hand now. We haven't seen the, full, the fullness of it. That'll only happen right at the end. But now, this is good news. This is the gospel that when you're at work tomorrow and it's stressful, that the kingdom of peace is at hand. When you go through difficult times, if you're grieving, we all do from time to time, that the kingdom of joy is at hand. And if you are sick, then the kingdom in which there is no sickness is at hand and you can be healed. The kingdom of God is a bit like France and Switzerland in one way, though. There is a border. There is, a, there is something you have to cross. There's a, there's a process of admission as well. 
which Jesus says is to repent and believe in the gospel. See, when you go to France or you go to Switzerland or what have you, you, you have to present your passport and say, this is me, I'm allowed to come in, this is my process of admission. Maybe you need a visa if you're going to stay longer. I don't do a lot of travel, so I'm making this up. Um, but in, if, you, uh, if you want to get into the kingdom of God, you repent. You say, God, I'm sorry for the stuff that I've done wrong, and I start believing in the gospel. I start to believe in the good news. I start to believe that the kingdom is now, which is to say, I believe in you, Jesus. And that's how we get in. Faith is our passport, believing in God. And so we come back to our story. Uh, News is spreading across Judea of this man who can heal people. He's proclaiming good news. Uh, And so the crowds are flocking in. And these rumors reach a man who can't walk. We don't know the nature of his paralysis. We don't know how long uh, he's been like that. We do know that it would have been life-crippling. In these days, in the 21st century, we're very fortunate to be able to offer uh, financial and physical support to, to people with disability. Not so in the first century. You didn't work. You, sorry, you didn't walk. You didn't work. You don't work. You don't earn. You don't earn. You don't eat. Apart from the charity of others which this guy had, he had four friends, which is nice. But also there's the social stigma attached to it. In Jewish culture, manual labor was very highly regarded, and if you didn't have a trade, you're on a very low rung of society. There's also a a misconception about the relationship between sin and sickness. And we know that if we make bad choices in life, that occasionally uh, we will get ill because of that. We also know that you, know, you withhold forgiveness or emotions aren't dealt with or spiritual stuff, then you know, it can do us physical damage. But the idea that God is meeting out punishment for our sin is just not true. You've done this, poof, you get this. You've done this, poof, you get this. He is not a vengeful God. He does not try and get even with us, and we'll see some of that later. But that kind of thing was, was in people's thinking that if you were long-term sick, you were a bad person from a bad family. But he hears the rumors. He hears about them. And, and maybe it is from his friends. And, and they come running up to him and they go, hey, hey, hey. Let, uh, let's give him a name. It helps us understand. Steve. We'll call him Steve. Hey, Steve, we're going to take you to Jesus. He says, who? Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Um, we don't know his lineage. Uh, Mark didn't write it down. But we do know that he's healing people. He could heal you. You could walk again. I think if I was Steve at this point, I'd be cautious in my optimism. Oh, well, you know, Nazareth is pretty far. Maybe we'll skip this one. No, 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 no. He's in the next village. He's in Capernaum. Come on, we'll take you. And they do. His four friends pick him up by his mat or pallet or whatever he is and then take him to the house in Capernaum. And you can just imagine his faith, his hope, his expectations starting to rise. I could be healed. I could walk again. Jesus, he, apparently he cleansed a leper. That's a, that's a death sentence. And what's, what's two legs in, in the face of that? Yeah, he could heal me. I could work again. I don't have to be dependent on other people. Hope rises. And then imagine how it's dashed when they get to the building and it's absolutely chocker. You can't even get in the door. 
I'd be pretty demoralized. But these guys, and I don't know if it was Steve's idea or one of his friends, but instead of you know, turning back, oh, we gave it a good go, instead they go, do you know what we should do? Let's go around the back of the house, go up the stairs that lead to the roof, and then start taking it apart so we can drop him through. And it has to be said that these are not you know, pointy, tiny roofs like we have now. They're flat roofs made of uh, you know, sticks and clay. Very cheap to make, very cheap to repair. Doesn't get over the fact that this is criminal damage. And I want to make it very clear. God can heal. God does heal. I believe that. The kingdom is at hand. I've seen it in my life. Hallelujah. And if I want to see my friend heal, the process is actually fairly similar. I have to take them to Jesus. But the good news is that, as we saw earlier, Jesus isn't located in Capernaum anymore. He's now everywhere. So all I have to do is take them to Jesus in prayer. I have to pray for them. But I don't have this kind of faith because the smallest thing can put me off. The the, the social embarrassment of offering to pray for someone, much less lay hands on. Can I just put my hand on your foot? No, that's weird. Um, the, the, The fear of disappointment that he may not heal because God doesn't always in his wisdom. And then I look like a wally. If I was faced with an actual physical barrier of a roof, there was absolutely no way that I would have started taking it apart. But these guys do. Such is their confidence that Jesus can heal him. And Jesus loves it. He absolutely loves it. He says he saw their faith, which as we found out earlier, is our passport to the kingdom, is our passport to healing. And so... With bated breath, the friends lean over the hole they've made in the roof, careful not to put their hands too much on the crumbly blitz of clay that are falling on people. And they watch Jesus walk over to Steve with a smile on his face and say, son, your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah! What? Forgiveness of sins? Forget The man can't walk, Jesus. Get him up. Get his legs going. I don't care about forgiveness. The man needs a job. He needs food. He's been scrounging of us for four weeks. It'll probably be some of my responses, but uh, we don't know how ungracious his friends were. Because you missed the point, Jesus. The really good news is that Jesus loves our faith, and he also loves to act when we ask, but he also knows what is best for us without us having to ask. Steve came for healing of legs. He left with healing of soul, which is infinitely more valuable. He came wanting a better life in the kingdom of Judea. What he got was perfect eternal life in the kingdom of God. But at this point... The, uh, the scribes start to get a little bit sniffy. The scribes are the clergy of the day, if you like. And they, uh, they say this. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're right, actually. Only God can forgive sins. You see, I've been married for about six years now, and there have been on occasion moments where I've upset and offended Cheryl. Just one or two, you know. And uh, 
when that happens, my responsibility in the relationship is to apologize. <laughs> Repent, if you like, and say, God, Gerald, I'm sorry. And then it's her responsibility, or choice, she mercifully does, to forgive me. <laughs> it would be totally ridiculous if when I do something wrong that upsets Cheryl, that I go to Pete over here and seek his forgiveness. It's not his to offer, it's Cheryl's. The same is true with God. Only God can forgive us our sin, the stuff we do that upsets and offends him. And Jesus, he says, he immediately perceived in his spirit. They didn't say it out loud, he miraculously knew. He questioned, uh, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? And of course it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, it's hard to disprove. It'd be like if I said to Ben here, Ben, at 50, you're going to be a millionaire. He might be. I think it's unlikely, yeah? Um, It's harder for me to say, Ben, you're going to have a gold bar in your pocket right now. It didn't work in the nine either. <laughs> Although that, your phone, you didn't check. Could be. It's easier, isn't it? You look like a Wally if you just you know, proclaim this is what's going to happen now. But Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed. Go home. And he did. He did. Jesus has done the impossible. He stuck the gold bar in Ben's pocket, and therefore we can believe that by the time he's 50, he'll be a millionaire. He healed the man so that we know he can also forgive sins. He is demonstrating his authority. But he does it in a couple of ways. He demonstrates his authority to forgive sins by healing, but he also demonstrates it by what he says about himself. He calls himself the Son of Man. That's how Jesus refers to himself more than any other way. And it tells us two things about him. Firstly, Son of Man means man. You with me? Just a bloke. It's like if we would say every mother's son, anyone who's been born is a son of man. Jesus is affirming his humanity. He's a bloke. But by it, he's also affirming himself as God, affirming his divinity. And the reason is because of this. In a book of the Bible written about 600 years before Jesus uh, called Daniel, Daniel had a vision of God, whom he calls the Ancient of Days, the Endless One. He says this. Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels 
were burning fire. Now jumping down to verse 13. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. I'm going to finish that quote in just a moment. Jesus is the one who came from the very clouds of heaven. Jesus is God himself. The son of man who took on human flesh. And it says he was presented before the ancient of days. And that is what He has authority over our sins. And when I think about my sins, I don't really think about them with this in mind. I'm probably a bit glib like I was earlier. You know, the stuff that I've done that upsets God. You know, whatever. I don't have in mind the ancient of days, the bright, shining one on the fiery throne. And it has to be said, this is not a literal image of what God looks like. This is a metaphorical vision to help us understand just how how majestic how awesome, how powerful, how terrifying God is, really. He deserves my entire life. He deserves every bit of praise, not just the songs I sing on a Sunday. I should focus my whole life around him. He made me, and every time I say, I'm not really interested in you, ancient of days, incredible one, it upsets and offends him. And just like us, when we've been wronged, there's a sense of injustice, isn't there? It's not fair. It's not right. We cry for justice. And that's good. That's actually because we are made in the image of God. The difference with us is we think, oh, I want to get revenge. I want to get even. See, when we upset and offend God... He does cry for justice, but he doesn't try and get even with us. I mean, if the Ancient of Days tried to get even with me, I'd have had it. Absolutely had it. But instead, one like a son of man is presented to him. Jesus Son of man, from the very clouds of heaven, God himself, when he offered himself on the cross. This mother's son, this mortal man, when he bled and died on the cross, he said to God, don't take it out on them. Pour your anger on me. And he did. So we just know forgiveness. We don't have to fear God getting even with us. But then Jesus rose. He rose from the dead. And uh, I'm just going to finish the passage we looked at before. Jesus came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory, 
and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is what the Son of Man has done for us. He has taken the wrath of God and given us a place in his kingdom. This is how he has authority to forgive sins on earth. This is why we get to get in the kingdom with just faith as our passport. We just have to believe in him and joy is ours, peace is ours, healing is ours. We who should have feared the ancient of days now stand serving him forever. What an outstanding, outstanding God we have. Amy. Jesus is very clear. The Son of Man has authority on earth. On earth. That means right now. At the end of days, we're going to be with him forever. It is going to be perfect. Right now, it can be tough. But the kingdom is at hand right now. Phil. I've invited Phil up because I want, I want Phil to tell us a little bit about something, how the uh, kingdom has made an impact in your life this week. On Tuesday, as the day went on, I had an increasing level of pain in my right foot. So much so that when I, come to get, when I came to go to bed on Tuesday night, I couldn't bear any weight on it. And I hopped from the living room into the bedroom and got into bed. And Judy threw an ice pack at me and some drugs, and I managed to get to sleep about 3 o'clock in the morning. On Wednesday, I came into here and three guys at the 12 o'clock meeting prayed for me, prayed for my foot. By the time I got home on Wednesday afternoon and took my socks off, there was a huge bruise, which was black and red and green and quite horrible, all over the top of my foot. And I began to have doubts in the power of prayer at that time. When Thursday morning, I went through my GP and got an x-ray of the QMC. On Friday morning, I went to the, they referred me to the fracture clinic. And I met a, a doctor whose first name was Mr. Now, you know you're seeing the top guy when you see a Mr. By that time, the pain had gone. The bruising had gone. And the, and the x-ray showed that I got a small stress fracture on what he called a metatarsal, which is one of the bones that links the foot to the, to the toes to the foot. And he said, you're wasting my time being here. I can't do anything for you because the pain's gone. What, what do you want me to do? And he says, it's unusual that with that sort of fracture that you recover. Re I've never seen it before, which, which was the words he gave, which gave me faith that somebody has recovered so quickly and the pain has gone. Yesterday, I did a three-mile walk without any along the river without any after effects. So I think that, God, that those guys praying for me and bringing the power of God healed my foot. Amen. Praise him. Amen.
why don't you stand?